talk about the book I've written, the go-between, um, borrowing sort of a title from elsewhere. It's about another boy, but in another time. Um, for me, the go-between is really opens a door into a hidden community. Um, it's a coming-of-age story set in Birmingham in the 80s and 90s. So I'm now an artist and a designer, and I wanted to share this world with you where I can, where I come from. Not because it's a misery memoir, but it's because it's a unique world right on your doorstep. It's a world of migrants. Each time you walk past someone whose culture is different, whose world is so different to yours from, its, from their class, from their race, their language, their culture. This is the book which opens up that up. It's a non-judgmental book from the eyes of a child, and it's of a particular time of the 80s and 90s when I was growing up. And it's a story of the people I love, people who have shaped me. Um, so really, we all lived in a in a red light district on the wrong side of track, on the wrong side of the tracks. And the book for me is a divide between the world of men and the world of women. So I take you through into this world where, so my culture or the community that I come from is predominantly. Um, it's ultra-orthodox, so the men don't necessarily are, they're kind of distinct, their world is very distinct from the world of women, and it's very segregated. Um, and then the go-between is also a title of the outside world and the inside world, basically the world where you don't necessarily see, you know, those nuances of everything that's actually hidden behind a closed, closed door. So, um, and also the divide between the Western world, the school teachings and the traditions, there's violence in the book, there's fear, there's rivalry, there's love, but, but there's also friendship that prevails. So it's really my, about my experiences growing up. I think it's quite funny, it's moving, it's harrowing, it's surreal, and sometimes all at once. And the go-between takes you from Birmingham. Are you seeing the, the first image here, Daisy? Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, there's the first image, sorry. Go backwards. Yeah, so, you know, it, it takes you from the Birmingham to the banks of the River Kabul and the River Indus, and eventually to London of my teenage years. And as I weave in and out of these worlds, struggling with race, class, family, expectations, I begin to understand myself and understand the people who shape me, really. It's a, it's a kind of, it's a meditation on identity. Can we move on to the next slide, please? So my parents arrived to a world where they weren't really welcome. On top of that, what do you do when you're when you're both illiterate. So both my parents couldn't read or write in any language. There were people of color who came to do the jobs that no one wanted. They weren't the middle-class doctors or nurses who came to build the NHS. They worked in the foundries, the heavy labor. And when the eighties came around and Thatcherism was in full swing, they weren't able to become the yuppies, the upward mobiles. They found the factory's doors closing when we started actually deindustrializing the North and they couldn't really upskill themselves. They didn't have the skills to do so. So they weren't able to work in the call centers, 
you know, when we started becoming a, um, an economy which is actually much more service orientated and we started losing our manufacturing base in this country, this is actually when the ghetto started forming. So I grew up in an area in the 80s where it was the Irish, the Afro-Caribbeans, the Hindus, the Sikhs, the, the Muslims, Pakistanis, the Bangladeshis. Um, and slowly, slowly coming into basically the 90s, all of these guys started moving out and these became the Muslim ghettos. And, and you know, we're, we have the label of actually being the jihadi capital of Britain. This is actually, you know, but they, you have to really understand that these guys came with actually the skill set that they came with. They had to look inwards. They'd lost all their jobs. They lost their dignity. And the only thing that they had to actually stick to, to maintain themselves and was really a, a sense of religion. The mosques actually started opening their doors to them. Um, and it became this kind of like, you know, there was nothing really else that they could actually kind of do. So you, you have, um, you know, fundamentally, you've got a world where you've got to prepare for the hereafter. And that kind of became this psyche that when we were growing up in, basically, and I think what's also very interesting for me is that the classes that are, it's the classes that are mobilized to combat each other. You know, looking here, it's the white working class that went around saying that Enoch Powell was right. You know, I had, I can still remember a first girlfriend who came um, that I walked down, I think it was about sort of seven or eight and her father owned the pub basically. And then she walked, she ran up ahead of me and she basically said, she shouted out as she went into the pub and she said, Packy. So there's always this kind of really world where you kind of, it's not, it's not the kind of like the middle classes. It's always this kind of, the, the lower class is the mob kind of idea, which is actually somehow mobilized against anyone else kind of coming in. And, but it's the middle, it's the kind of the likes of Enoch Powell, the, the, the well-read, the people who had actually been to Oxbridge. Um, they were actually mobilizing all of this. You know, I had an uncle who was beaten almost to death. So yes, there was terrible racism, but it also went both ways. You know, we also witnessed the hatreds of the white, towards the white community because we didn't really know what else to kind of like, how else to kind of react towards them. But the book for me is not really about judging. It's really through the eyes of a kid. I was just living and observing this world. Do you want to go on to the next slide, please, Dave? So what do you do when you have to bring your children up in a red light district where the area is actually called the wickedest road in, in, in England, basically, where 450 working women are selling their wares, um, selling themselves every evening. And, you know, well, what did I do? I made friends with them. So there was an area called Cheddar Road and it was like a mini Amsterdam as well as the club crawlers, there were sort of prostitutes outside our front door. And for me, they would tease me saying, come over, I'll make your hat fly. And that was obviously, my hat was going to fly from ecstasy. And she was referring to my hat of my skull cap, my Muslim identity, what I would wear to the mosque. But you know, my parents and the elders had other ideas. 
they had other ways to deal with what they called vermin on their streets, basically, that they were on the wrong side of their tree streets where their house prices would never really rise. They became the vigilantes. They roamed the streets when night would actually fall. Sometimes we followed just for fun. They took down the car plate numbers of the cab callers, eventually pushing them out so our highest prices could rise again. And then David Cameron turned up a little while later, several years later, actually thinking, guys, these guys have done well. This was actually where big society came from. So this is all orchestrated for the mosque, which also kept us off the streets. Um, do you want to go into the next slide, Daisy? So I think, you know, if you look at this idea of, of this is an image of a, of a daytime disco um, in the 90s, basically. So we weren't really, I think, it, firstly, if I start off with the idea of actually that Asians, are they all good businessmen? Are we good with money? Am I going to actually just sort of, um, but here, I suppose, is a little bit of an anecdotal evidence that maybe we may be, but I don't want to push that cliche. So you have empty nightclubs in the day and you have a lot of large amount of South Asian kids who can't necessarily go out in the evenings. So it was a real creative act, really. So we, this is how we started creating our own culture when we weren't really allowed to go to the clubs in the evenings. You know, this wasn't really our culture. We didn't have basically a prom or we didn't have the parish or the school dance or a coming of age discos. This was really alien to us, especially for the girls. And then some girls had it really tough. You know, my gig sisters had it really, really tough. You know, they, um, they were taken out of school at the age of 11 and didn't receive any formal education. There's a whole chapter dedicated to them. They helped me write it and it's called Girls Don't Go to School. Um, but, you know, this is also a story of the 80s and 90s where you have a series of immigrants, especially this community that I'm from, that really found themselves actually looking inwards to just to kind of maintain the value system that they felt that they needed to kind of hold on to. Um, the bulk of the book is really at the age of like 11, 12 of a kid just walking through this kind of world of difference. Um, the women aren't allowed to go outside, they aren't allowed to go to shop. So I find myself as a go-between on many different levels. And lastly, um, the last, um, do you want, do you just want to do the last um, um, slide? So lastly, the book is, as I was saying, it's really about more like a 10-year-old kid, but there is an art. And there's one or two chapters just about as I grow older and I come to, to London. It's less about actually my work and my career. It's much more about this hidden world. But for me, you know, coming to London was an escape, but also a hole which I'm still trying to find a floor in sometimes really. And I think when you're a creative, you always try and find what sort of conversations that you have. Um, I recently did um, a show at the Icon in Birmingham and I took my mother to see it um, and she um, it was a it was a re kind of assemblage of her bedroom and she said who sleeps here so just kind of it was quite mad 
actually really her understanding how she thought of something and how I thought of something and how I entered sort of a privileged world of how I managed to put to bed in a white gallery space and pontificated on it and she would have thought well you know this is a bed it's a functional object someone needs to sleep on it there's many homeless people in the world so you know for me it was this idea of coming to London how do I create identity and I think making clothes was very easy to me my mum was a seamstress and that was actually the community and the world that I had a window into so I could dress up and express myself show myself to the world but you know as a kid we weren't really allowed to watch TV I wasn't allowed to draw so I found myself here in a way of actually expressing myself a performance in many different ways um, so that's really what this book is really about. And it's really about a meditation of identity, of finding a search for belonging and finding a sort of within rigidity, finding a creative space. I hope 